The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, February 6, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And if you're watching on YouTube, please smash that like button like your Brandon Davies. It's right, it's right in front of you. It won't cost you nothing. It sure would mean a lot to us. And while you're here, please go and hit the subscribe button too. It matters. So please help us with that. We thank you in advance. All right, dead leg. Let's start with what you wrote about uh, this weekend, and that was Illinois' 74-57 win at Assembly Hall that really did major damage to the Internet in the state of Indiana. From from the northern tip of South Bend all the way down to Evansville, from Rockville on the west side of the state to Connersville on the east side, and all points in between, major bandwidth problems in Indiana after Kofi Coburn and the Illini overwhelmed the Hoosiers in the final 20 minutes of Saturday's game. It's not completely out because I did hear from some Indiana fans, but clearly there's some issues that got to get resolved. I hope that gets taken care of ASAP. Deadleg, you uh, talked to Illinois coach Brad Underwood after the game. He was on the bus headed back to Champaign. What do you have to say about his latest nice victory? Uh, he had a lot to say. We talked plenty about it, and uh, that column, yes, is on the site and on your CBS Sports app. We'll drop it in the podcast description as well if you're listening to this episode on Sunday night or Monday or whenever, and you'd like to read it and you haven't gotten to it yet. Brad Hunter would had a lot to say, and uh, it was it was a good conversation. Obviously, he was in high spirits after Illinois got uh, a very morale boosting win here. I mean, the Illini. Uh, I did not realize this until. Uh, I got the game notes after it was the largest margin of victory for Illinois in that building ever 50 years worth of assembly hall history. Illinois had never won uh, by as many as it did 74 57 margin there. And in fact, the last time Illinois beat Indiana on the road by this many points was January 14th, 1956, man, Illinois held Indiana to a season low in points with 57, a season low in shooting percentage, 36% from the field, and only 20 made field goals. Illinois really did turn off Indiana's water, and now uh, this Illini team at 10-2 and two through 12 games has the best record. Shouts to you, Nada, for throwing the column there on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Hello to everyone. 10-2. Uh, and two. Hey, YouTube. Best hey, record for YouTube. Illinois since the, obviously, 2005 team. Was 12 and 0 through 12 games in Big Ten play. That team only wound up win- losing two games the entire season. Illinois, during its four game winning streak, has held its opponents to an average of 58.8 points, 36% from the field, and 21.7% from three. So that's all backdrop to what I talked to Brad Underwood about. Because I, I, I came away from this game, uh, which wasn't, you know, that close, but I thought Illinois is now a viable story here. I came away thinking Illinois is a, is a Final Four contender, potentially even a national championship contender. And I got to thinking about everything that this program has been through 
over the past 10 plus months. And a lot of that is covered in the column. So I won't completely rehash it here, but I did ask Brad Underwood if he could kind of take me back to last March when they got knocked out of the tournament. And then he soon thereafter lost his best player expectedly to the NBA draft, lost all three assistants best I can tell. And at least the past 15 years, this has never happened. A one seed loses an NBA draft pick and all three assistants, but retains its head coach at least 15 years. Illinois has, was in a spot that other programs, other teams, other head coaches just don't normally find themselves in. And Kofi Coburn at that point, we didn't know if he was going to try and go pro. He was name was in the transfer portal. And so some of Underwood's explanation to all that and how he approached it is in the column there. But it's been remarkable to see what Illinois has been has done. When you really look at the fact that only four players have played in every single game, Coburn missed uh, five games, Curbella missed more than two months, Trent Frazier's missed a couple of games. They got a backup point guard who's out for the season because of hernia surgery. It would be understandable, GP, if Illinois was simply a good team in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten with some decent NCAA tournament at large hopes and not the team that it is right now. What it is right now is a team that's better. And you can see the game stats on YouTube right now. It's 17 and five through 22 games. That's one game better than it was through 22 games a season ago when Illinois was receiving a bit more hype, granted a, a bit more heading into the season than this year's team. But this group arguably could be better than the one with the Sumu. And I think it's remarkable because from all of the injuries to the COVID to just resetting your entire staff, which I think Illinois fans are keyed into that, but I think your average fan might not give that as much um, credence as it deserves. A head coach to turn over his entire staff is a massive undertaking. Now, having Kofi Coburn return is a huge deal, sure, but as I wrote, you know, the obstacles are the opportunities for this program, and no, I would not have Brad Underwood first, second, or third for National Coach of the Year, but if you really look at everything that he has overcome in the past 10-plus months to get Illinois alone atop the Big Ten standings, and in my opinion, yes, a national title contender with this team, they have not even played at their ceiling yet. Curbelo, Underwood told me, is still two, three weeks away minimally from just being in game shape enough where he can trust him to go for 30-plus minutes and play at a high level. So keep all that in mind. Big-time win for the Illini. They were one of the biggest stories for me coming out of the weekend, that's why I decided to write about them on the site for Saturday. I thought one of the interesting points Brad made while talking to you is like, you know, you guys, um, I'm assuming, were sort of uh, discussing – the last season's team had all this hype, and this season's team, which is comparable, hasn't had nearly as much. And he said, we beat Duke early last season. And once you beat Duke early, then everybody thinks you're, oh, wow. Like, they had that big signature win um, very early in the season that jumped them on everybody's radar and was like, oh, you got to pay attention to this. They just went to Cameron Indoor and won. Uh, of course, Cameron Indoor was empty. Um Duke we, didn't, we, and we didn't know Duke sucked at that point. That's the thing. That's the other thing. We didn't know Duke sucked. And um, I just, I didn't remember it this way, but I went back and looked. Do you know they immediately back, you, of course you know, because I'm sure you looked at this. They immediately backed the Duke win with a loss to Missouri. Mm -hmm. They beat Minnesota, lost to Rutgers. They were five and three um, through eight games. And then they sort of took off and became what they became, but they weren't shot out of a cannon at the beginning of last season. And obviously this season got off to a difficult start, um, you know, not having Kofi for a, a suspension for the first three games. Um, you know, he, he was, you know, so they understandably lose at Marquette, uh, but then they lost to a Cincinnati team that, you know, they, they should not have lost by 20 to Cincinnati, even in Kofi's first game back. But uh, they very much look the part right now. I'm hesitant to go there with you that this team's going to be better than last season's team. Or, or I know you didn't say that exactly. You said, it, it, yeah, it, it could be. I'm hesitant to go that far right now. 
but this team is clearly good and it's an incredible job by Brad because it did feel like I don't mean falling apart like the program was falling apart but boy I mean IO's gone understand everybody assumed that was happening then but then um you know no, another five-star prospect in the transfer portal Kofi in the transfer portal all three assistants gone it really did look like this again not falling apart that's the wrong phrasing but just like whoa what happened there's a lot of stuff to happen all of a sudden and he um he roped it to get up together pretty good and and now they're undeniably in, in a really really nice place they are it's 10 and 2 atop the big 10 standings and then uh right on the heels uh purdue wisconsin michigan state and ohio state which got an easy win at home on sunday all have three losses in league play at this point. And that's your top tier, as we've talked about for a while. One of the fallouts from Indiana losing is that it now has five league losses and any hope for the Hoosier fans that they could maybe, you know, worm their way up and, and finish top of the league ledger alone or with any other team. I think that's gone after Illinois and what it was able to do. Uh, but yeah, at 17 and five, uh, it now sets up. A, I'll just we'll talk about this on the tail end. We'll preview Monday, Tuesday. But um the column kind of wraps by mentioning, and oh, by the way, uh, Illinois at Purdue on Tuesday. Just an awesome, fantastic game with first place in the league on the line. And uh, if you think Illinois might not win that game merely because Purdue has gotten more hype and the game is in Purdue's joint, that's a hard place to play. That's fair, but Illinois has made something of a habit. Well, not flawlessly. It's taken losses, but it has really overcome uh, a lot of things along the way there. And... Yeah, there's more. I encourage you to go read the, the story. I, Underwood was, was fantastic in kind of laying out a lot of things. We talked about Curbelo. We talked about Kofi Coburn's improvement. Uh, there's even more stuff that he gave me that I didn't include in the column that I'm going to save for uh, for later in the season. But on this note, okay, so let me ask you this. Mm. So we'll tag this with Illinois because I actually I, I do want I want your impression of these teams. So with Illinois winning, I put them in I put them in the tier right now. Uh, national title contender. And I would define that parish specifically as you can see that you can envision this team winning six games in the NCAA tournament, cutting down the nets. It's something that you can picture happening in the context of this season. I think there are 20 teams that are at least reasonable to bring up. Not that there are 20 true national championship contenders, but I think there are 20 that you could reasonably at least put into that pot, if you will. No. Uh, so I, I, you don't think they're 20. So I'm going to literally, I want you to just rapid fire, rapid fire. I'm going to name these are alphabetical order. Yes or no national title contender. You can envision them winning it. Okay. Here we go. go. Alabama. No. Arizona. Yes. Auburn. Yes. Baylor. Yes. Duke. Yes. Gonzaga. Yes. Houston. No. Illinois. Yes. I like it. Kentucky. Yes. Michigan State. No. Ohio State. No. Purdue. Yes. Providence. No. Tennessee. No. Texas. No. Texas Tech. Yes. UCLA. Yes. USC. No. Villanova? No. Wisconsin? No. So you had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You got 10 title contenders. 10 of those were no's. GP has Arizona, Auburn, Baylor, Duke, Gonzaga, Illinois, Kentucky, Purdue, and UCLA. 
Here are my no's real quick. I was doing this after the game ended. I got Bama as a no. I have Michigan State as a no. I have Ohio State as a no. We agree on all those. Providence, we both have as a no. We both have Tennessee as a no. We both have Texas as a no. I have Texas Tech as a no. You have them as a yes. And I think we agree on every single other one of these, my man. I, I thought there might have been two. But it's just interesting. You you went yes on Illinois, and I think it's only because of – no, wait. You have a no for Houston. I have and, a yes for Houston. Yeah, and I, listen, here's my – I struggle with – that's the one where I felt bad about the word coming out of my mouth. I just think ultimately, like losing Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark – that they're, killing me. they're killing me that Kansas isn't in the list, by the way. Kansas is oh. both of us a yes. Oh, so yes. 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 We, I Kansas would say yes to Kansas. No yes. I did this on the fly right before the podcast started to try to get every team. Kansas is obviously a yes for both. Yes, of course. Uh, um, I Losing two of the top four scores has not showed up in the American Athletic Conference because the AAC stinks. I just think that's going to show up at some point. Like, you know, my God, what team in the country could lose two of its top four players and still be a national championship contender? I don't think Duke could do it. I don't think Kentucky could do it. I know. I, know. I don't. I don't think anybody could. So listen, uh, nobody respects what Kelvin is doing at Houston more than I do. Um, I just think ultimately, when you get into that tournament and you got to win six games, uh, at some point after losing two of your top four, I'm going to assume that's going to matter, or else you're the greatest coach in the history of the sport. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I, I literally thought, you know what? As we talked about on your radio show Friday. Kelvin Sampson is considered a top 10 just coaches coach in this sport. He is by, by most coaches that would be at that elite level, top 30 or 40 coaches, Kelvin Sampson is going to make the top 10 of many a list. And so I thought about that. I was like, it's not likely, but I'm not doubting Houston at this point. So I had him on there, but okay. Now that, now that I went down the list and it's 21 with Kansas, uh, was there any school on there that was unreasonable? 21 reasonable teams at the discussion. Anyone in there that you thought, eh, you shouldn't have even been included in that. Maybe well, Bama, but it's beaten three final four teams from last year. Yeah, but it's also lost to like the teams that you are worse than the teams you'd have to play in the first round. Like the Alabama has shown nothing that would make you think they can win six straight. That games. was my last team I included. So and Providence is like 49th in Ken Palm, but the, uh, what do you want from me? They have two losses. They have to be at least in the conversation. I felt bad saying no to Providence. I'll be honest, because like they keep winning. You know, they keep winning. Yeah. Um. I don't know if it. it I don't. Here's going to be one of my little things again. The, the all any of these teams in theory could beat each other, right? I think that's right. mostly true. And. I, I, where I would agree with you is that all those teams could reasonably make a final four. But once you get to the final four, follow right. me here, you usually got to beat two awesome teams to win the whole thing. The gap between making the final four and winning the national title is massive. Like, it sounds like we're almost there. You ain't all, you're not almost there. Two thirds of the way. And that final third is a freaking For, mo for yeah. most of those teams you named, by the time they get to the Final Four, if they get there, they got to beat two teams better than them to win the national title in a three-day span. That's tough. I, I agree. There's a difference between being in the list and winning six. Um, yeah, like you, you, yeah, like, like you, get, you get, to, you get, like let's say, let's take the top five teams out of this and and just focus on your other sixteen. All right, mm -hmm. you get to the Final Four. Now you got to beat Gonzaga and Kansas back to back. You got to beat. Kentucky and Auburn back to back. Yeah, that's tough. It is. It is. Uh, 
It is really tough there. But I think this is a wonderful thing for the sport this season that, yes, there is an upper echelon. There's five, six, seven teams you want to, however you want to group those. But even then, if you want to call that second tier the likes of Illinois, depends on where you land with Arizona and UCLA right now. You want to toss in Ohio State. EJ Liddell's playing out of his mind. You know, you really want to you want to doubt Villanova? I just think there are there is a great cluster of teams that are both they're interesting. A lot of these schools have been very good as of late. And then if you're the kind of person like me where you love that you get a new story every single season in men's college basketball, then yeah, the likes of Providence at that lower level being good this year is cool. And then like Purdue's not at this level every single year, and that they're in that top tier. So I think that's a really cool thing after last year it was really Gonzaga Baylor separating from the rest of the sport. Um I just, you know, the Illinois stuff really got my gears turning on this. And I sat down, I put pen to paper, so to speak. And I was like, how many teams are actually in this discussion? And you could disagree if you're listening. You're thinking maybe 14 of those teams. But even still, that's a lot. That's I think that's a good thing it will make for a fun NCAA tournament. I bet I could I bet I could name eight teams and one of them would be the national champion. Do you, do you want to do it for fun on the fly right now? You take eight. Uh, it's, that's not good odds. I was gonna say you take eight teams. I take the field, but I'm gonna want the eight teams. But yeah, okay, let's let's say right now here today, what eight um, February sixth? Someone save our archive this and remind us like when we get to the Sweet Sixteen. What eight teams are you most confident in? One of those eight is gonna win the national title. Your national title winner will be one of these eight teams: Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, Purdue, Baylor. Auburn, Kansas. <laughs> no, I don't like that. Let me start over. Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I want to leave Purdue off because of the defense. How are you leaving Purdue off this list? I'm not going to. Okay. But I want to because that defensive number bad. Gonzaga. Arizona, Kentucky, Purdue, Baylor. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Auburn. Kansas. Kansas. But I'm running out of teams. You got one more. You I know. know. See, you're almost proving my point here. Give me an eighth and be done with it. Okay, but I am. it is more than eight. The the number I would like is more than eight. It might be ten, but I'm I, but I said eight. So here's eight, my, you have not you have clearly not mentioned a team that you need to mention here. Here we go, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, Houston. No, not Houston. Gonzaga, oh. Arizona, Kentucky, Purdue, Baylor, Auburn, Kansas, Duke. There you go. You got to put Duke in there. But I let me tell you who I feel sick about. Okay, Texas Tech and UCLA. After UCLA fell in triple overtime, Arizona State. It's hard to go down there and win in the desert. You hanging with me and the other degenerates watching that triple overtime game last night? No shot. Bro, no shot. I was asleep by 930. <laughs> yeah, you were. There is no chance. Anyway. No, I we, swear to God. I yeah. flew home yesterday morning. I had to get up at 5 a.m. Central to come home. And then I had to hang out with my kids all day. I was out by 930. That's the truth. I'm glad you got a, a good night's sleep here. And you're going to get a Sunday night free. I hope everyone's enjoying our little uh, Sunday podcast in the sun, if you will, a little earlier than normal. Uh, sorry to sideswipe us, but I thought this might be fun, and it, and it was. So a lot of teams to consider there. And, yeah, there your, your GU zone of Kentucky, Purdue, Baylor, Auburn, Kansas, Duke, your eight. You're saying one of those eight will win the national title. 
Uh, let's circle back on that and say six weeks from now and see how uh, how that list uh, ages, so to speak. But uh, but particularly after this weekend where we went into it, very fun matchup weekend, right? On Saturday, a lot to look forward to, noon to midnight. And then it kind of became a letdown Saturday. But I also thought a little bit of separation Saturday, so to speak, Parrish, where you had a lot of these teams that we just mentioned, um, a lot of them got – got to win and continue to kind of establish themselves in that either tier a or, or tier B, if you will. I wish we had discussed this before we got to this point in the podcast. Cause I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do, <laughs> but I know we have to have a video spot here. So let's, let's see if this works. Indiana wasn't the only historically strong program that had a rough weekend. So did North Carolina. We're going to get to that next, but first some words from our sponsors. It is just as simple as someone being able to see it, see that it's possible. This is a story of hope. Okay, I'll see you, baby boss. How do I look? Like a badass captain who knows what's up. Black culture is still relevant, and now we can show people something from this lens. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. That worked pretty well. Hey, listen, production levels going <laughs> way up. I, I did not know what was coming. Kind of cool. Good stuff. Not appreciate you, but now we have those elements in the podcast as well. There we go. Like I said, Indiana wasn't the only uh, historically strong program. I had a rough weekend. So did North Carolina. Coach Game's final Game in Chapel Hill, it doubled as uh, North Carolina's latest ass whipping. Final score, Duke 87, <laughs> North Carolina 67. You know, we talked a little bit about North Carolina last week, but I still think that the Tar Heels are, are worth a few minutes. They're now 0-7 in Quadrant 1 games with five blowout losses and an average margin of defeat in those games, so seven Quadrant 1 games, of 18.6 points. They've lost by 17 to Tennessee, 20 to Duke, 22 to Wake Forest, 28 to Miami, 29 to Kentucky. Um, and it's not, again, that they're just losing these games. They are getting humiliated in these games. Down 28 at home to Duke. Like, that ain't it. Right now, here's the question for you. Yes or no? North Carolina going to make the NCAA tournament. All right, that's the blind question. Not, not trying to get um... – yeah, I'm saying, yes, it's making it, but I wouldn't have it in the field today because I got this little piece of analysis new to the board, by the way. Here's a strange but true fact about North Carolina right now. They're not good. What? what? They're not good. That's right. One more time, please. <laughs> They're not good. There we go. Not good at the moment. 
I've been holding that one. They're not good. I'm using that one plenty, my man. I got another one here, but um, but I don't know if we can use it today. But I'm gonna I'm gonna. I was wrong. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> I was wrong. They're not good. All right. So anyway, UNC is a troublesome uh, case right now. Paris. I, Paris has a column on Carolina. Let's get that in the pod description as well. Um, and you, I I wonder this very thing. So same wavelength, buddy. You asked Palm about this. Now the net's only in its fourth season and you can't, it's hard to compare previous to that. But the point is this, there's never been an at large team with zero quad wins. That's gotten into the NCAA tournament. I think that's one of those things that will always be a truth. It, you have to at least, at least beat one, but really if you're going to be an at large worthy kind of team, particularly from a power conference, I'm, I'm thinking two or three quad one level wins is going to have to be the baseline here. So Palm said it's never happened. He said they don't even have two or one or two good quad two wins. Yep. All of their losses have come in quad one, but we have hit the point where it's not just the losses are in quad one. Uh, they are getting rolled. They are getting rolled. And for Carolina to fail to show up the way that it did against Duke, um, first first home loss of the season, it was the second largest uh, margin of victory for Duke under Coach K at UNC. So uh, at least tied for it. Um, I was I was surprised, man. I, I really was. Like, uh, you know, Mark Williams did a great job. He basically negated Armando Baycott. Caleb Love, again, not consistently producing as much as UNC fans want them to. So I thought we'd get a better game. It was it was just non-competitive within the first four or five minutes. And that's that's you know, this isn't unique to me. Everyone feels this way. But man, it's so damn annoying when you have like a game or two, no matter the sport, where all this build up, all this hype, and then you're you haven't even dipped into the appetizers yet, and then it's just over. You know, it's such a buzzkill. Uh, all credit to Duke for getting the way the win the way that it did, but we know Duke is really, really good. It proved that again. The bigger story coming out of this is UNC taking his first home loss, and uh, yeah, now is Carolina going to make the NCAA tournament in the first year under Hubert Davis? My, I'm telling you, I'm I'm saying on February sixth. Come back and uh, and let me know. And if if so, I will have my own. They're not good. Well, I'll have that. I'll have my own. I was wrong. I will have one of those for myself on this board. Okay, I will. But I'm going to say UNC is going to make the NCAA tournament because I think it's going to get two or three quad one wins, and I think it'll dodge it just enough where they scoot on into the field of 68. They have three more quadrant one opportunities left in the regular season. Um, Tuesday at Clemson. Um. At Virginia Tech on February 19th and at Duke on March 5th. Seems pretty obvious they're not winning at Duke. So we're down to Clemson and Virginia Tech. And for what it's worth, Kim Palm does project them to be underdogs in both of those games. So if these games the way go the way the computers suggest they should go, uh, Carolina will enter the ACC tournament 0-10 in Quadrant 1 opportunities they are at real risk of getting to selection sunday with zero quadrant one wins like you noted since the net became the selection committee's grouping tool no teams ever got there an at-large bid with zero uh quad one wins you know they right now they also just as long as we're piling on they have zero wins over top 40 ken palm teams and they've really beaten nobody they've gone from a team that was ranked 19th in the preseason ap poll to a team that can't even compete with top 25 teams. Forget them being a top 25 team. They can't compete with top 25 teams. So the way I uh, started the column was like, you know, for me, I was home, um, but I've been there many times for Duke Carolina games. And it's, um, it can, it, 
it's not Cameron because it's just so much bigger and it's different, but it still can, you know, create an incredible scene. And, you know, so I'm watching from my office and it, it looks like a big Carolina Duke game and it sounds like a big Duke Carolina game. Then it started and it looked like every other Carolina game against a good opponent this season. They were out of it immediately. Duke made eight of its first nine shots, goes up 19 to five. Carolina never got it to single digits in the final 36 minutes of the game. The game was over four minutes in. Um, yeah. They led by Duke led by as many as 28. And what's interesting about this is that sometimes when a team is disappointing, you can sort of start to look at it and go, okay, well, here's why, you know, maybe we didn't see this in the preseason, but you know, with the benefit of hindsight can sort of see why this went the wrong way. Like Michigan, you know, it's like you go back and look at it. Now it's like, man, Michigan lost a lot. From last season's team. Now, we thought because they were bringing back Hunter Dickinson and they were enrolling two five stars that, you know, it would mostly be about the same. Clearly, that was incorrect. So when you look back on that in, you know, from this perspective, you can you can sort of see how maybe you should have seen that they were going to you know go the wrong direction with North Carolina. I don't really think that's true. Like, why are teams that are supposed to be good usually bad? Um, well, they, they're just not talented. You know, they're not that talented and, and it's starting to show up. They're not that athletic. It's starting to show up. That's Virginia tech. I think, by the way, uh, you know, a lot of people had Virginia tech borderline top 25 team. Yeah. I've talked to multiple ACC coaches. And I, when I asked, I said, what, what, what happened with Virginia tech? They were supposed to be good. Not athletic enough. You know, they're, they, they you know, they got, they're a little small in certain spots. They're not very athletic and it's, it, it's a problem. So they're just not talented enough. You know, they're trying to win in the ACC. I say this respectfully, uh, but like they, they, you know, Mike brought some Wofford players over and that has started to catch up a little bit. So that's Virginia Tech's explanation, I think. Supposed to be good, but not. Why? Just probably not talented enough to be what we thought they were going to be. And then the other obvious reason is uh, ah, too young, too reliant on first year players, too reliant on freshmen. That That's usually the recipe for teams that were supposed to be good, but they're disappointed. Carolina is neither of those things. They started against Duke, two seniors, a junior, and two sophomores. They're not young. They started four former top 75 prospects, including a five-star. And the fifth player, Brady Manick, is a transfer who averaged double figures for an NCAA tournament team last season. They're not untalented, and they're not young. So if they're not untalented and they're not young, what is the explanation for why they're bad? You got an answer for that? I mean, there can be a few different factors, but I think you're getting at the, you know, how the how the head coaching, how the head coach and the staff have been able to handle the situation so far this year. Well, I'll just say, out of curiosity, I did a Twitter search for Hubert Davis's name last that night. That can be. You don't want it, hey, Hubert. If you're listening, buddy, don't do that. Because he's yeah, all, that's not unique, to obviously, to UNC. Oh um, no, that's going on. But, but like, yeah, that can that can really, yeah, I mean. Especially, I mean, you went in. You went into the volcano, okay, in the midst of a home game against Duke. <laughs> you went and did a search uh, on Twitter for Hubert Davis's name, and yeah, Carolina fans are going to be particularly fired up about that. Um, but I, I still think, listen, two things can be going on here. I think that he's done a relatively decent job in the first season. I think that's fair. They have actually won a lot of the games they should win, but 
for people that are listening to this or kind of curious as we've talked about how they're 0-7 in quad one games and are wondering. With a margin of defeat of 18.6. Don't leave that point out because like that. It's not been close. Yeah. I mean, they're they're getting blown out. Purdue by nine, right, Parrish? Do I have that right off of memory? Purdue by nine is the closest? They did lose to Purdue by nine. I don't know if that's the closest, but like there's only two single digit ones. The other five are complete blowouts and the average margin Uh, of defeat in quad one opportunities is, uh, again, it's it's 18.6. It's bad. The best one is uh, at Notre Dame by five. You're correct. The best win, if you're curious, Furman, yeah. home against Furman. That is the, the or or Virginia Tech. Either one. I would say that Furman actually, even though rates lower in predictive metrics, Furman might actually be a better team than Virginia Tech right now. Uh, although they did just lose over the over the weekend uh, late to UNC Greensboro, but that's what UNC's working with at this point. And you mentioned at Clemson, at Duke. What's the other Q one? Um, at Virginia Tech. At Virginia on, Tech. Yeah. Got. Uh, I would. I would recommend uh, two out of three. You win those because if it's one out of three, even if the one is Duke, and I will be in the building for that one, and I'm. I selfishly would love to have a compelling game for Mike Shashevsky's final one in Cameron Indoor. Uh, it, it, let's say they lose at Clemson, lose at Virginia Tech, but they pull off a stunner at Duke. Still not going to be enough, in my opinion, at that point. Pull off a stunner at Duke. What are you talking about? <laughs> Dude, they were exactly what it would be. They would be pulling off a stunner. They just got rolled, humiliated by Duke in their own building. They ain't going 10 miles to Durham and pulling off a stunner. Listen, anything's possible in a rivalry. No, I guess zero zero chance. You're going zero chance. (laughs) I'll put it pretty close to that. Okay. All right. Um, I'm what I'm advising UNC to do is to minimally make the semis, uh, in Barclays. Brooklyn ACC tournament. I should be on hand for that as well. Otherwise, yes, it's going to be real dicey because I'm going to just circle back from what we talked about on the top. There's no way the selection committee is putting in a team. I don't, I don't care if UNC wins every other non-quad one game and loses all his quad one. It's not putting them in the tournament. You're not putting an at-large team from a power conference into the tournament if they have not beaten a quad one opponent. Will not happen. Not on the table. One, I would be highly suspicious of. Just in my morning jacket. Two is actually maybe possible. Maybe, depending on how the resume shakes out, I think that they can get there. Again, I'm sitting here. I'm telling you, you asked me to say yes or no, Carolina in the field. I'm telling you, I think Carolina is going to get a couple of Q1 wins, and it will be in the field narrowly. That's my guess. Um, I, I think you've got it right. I, I don't want to say there's no way you could ever get an at-large with zero quadrant one wins, because I do think it's possible. Um, it, it would probably have to be a mid-major Correct. Who That's, lacked, yeah. who, that lacked opportunities. They were like 0-1 in quadrant one opportunities, yeah. and the resume was otherwise unblemished. That that's a scenario where it could happen. Yeah. It ain't gonna happen for a team that played 10 quadrant one games and won zero. Like you that is that is a fireable offense. Uh, no, I don't mean it like that. I'm not I, talking no, about you're talking about for the selection committee members. Yes, yeah. well, yes. specifically, I think I should have qualified that. Power conference team never get into the tournament with zero Q1 wins. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you nor get, t- should it, nor should it. If you get this many opportunities, you can't win any of them. The committee has made it clear over the years. Um, you got to show us that you can beat other teams in this bracket. And if Carolina doesn't perform differently than it has performed at this point, it will be sitting on selection Sunday, having not shown the committee, it can win games against other teams in the bracket. And that is the scenario where it'll get left out of the bracket. To be clear, um, I am not suggesting this should be a one and done or a two and done or North Carolina has made a mistake. I don't know. I, I do think Hubert has. I mean, we're talking about this team like the ranked 140th at Ken Palm. Like this is still a 
you know, a, a borderline NCAA tournament team. Uh, it's just in the in the highly visible games they have been embarrassed um, consistently, and that's not a good sign. And I did just notice that a lot of North Carolina fans were chirping pretty loud on Twitter uh, Saturday night in a way that I think the way I put it um, in the column is that year one isn't going well. And some North Carolina fans are already asking big questions. And I think that's an accurate portrayal of where we're at right now. It's not going well. You're preseason top 20 and you know now you lose badly just about every time you play a top 25 team and some 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 not all but some North Carolina fans are starting to ask you know big questions um and so I, I you know we'll, we could be talking on Wednesday and they could be coming off a, a Tuesday night game in which they recorded their first quadrant one win and we can say okay now they look like they might be on the right side of the bubble um but you know as of February 6th uh you know they, they put themselves in a in a tough spot by losing all of these games and, and most of them badly on the other side, real quick, AJ Griffin was terrific yes. uh, career best, 27 points. Um, you know, Mike said after the game, like we wanted to run a couple of things for him and then it just, you know, then he just took off, but he's a guy that we talked a lot about early in the season. Cause as you remember, he wasn't playing. He had that knee injury in the preseason and he just wasn't ready to go or he missed so much time in the preseason that, um, they, they had a hard time getting him back into the rotation, getting him comfortable. You know, he only averaged 10.4 minutes per game in Duke's first eight games, six or fewer minutes, three times in that eight game stretch. But after the loss to Ohio State, he only played two minutes in that game. It looks like Mike prioritized getting AJ comfortable in the rotation. Like, okay, we we weren't, we didn't think it was our best path to victories early to force him into 20 minutes or 24 minutes. But now we've got a stretch of games to be our best selves. He's going to have to be a big part of it. So let's start just playing him and letting him play through his mistakes, letting him play through all the things that we might not have wanted him to try to play through against Ohio state. And that approach is, is paying off now because whoo, I mean, you go Paulo, AJ, when you got two five-star freshman projected lottery picks who were both playing like projected lottery picks, not looking in workouts like projected lottery picks, but both playing like projected lottery picks, well, now you've got a Duke team that, uh, you know, has got a chance to, to win the national championship. And, you know, as I pointed out in the top 25 and one, um, their resume isn't terrific. I mean, they got big wins, Gonzaga, Kentucky, but they've also got two quad two losses, you know, Miami, Florida State. And so that deems that's not great. But the three losses are combined eight points. And it just sort of underlines, and I hate playing what if, but they could very easily right now be 20 and two or 21 and one or even 22 and 0. I mean, you don't have to flip a lot of stuff to have Duke at 22 and 0 right now. Um, they're, they're, they're terrific, even if the resume isn't quite matching up to, say, a, an Auburn resume or some of the other elite schools in the country right now. Uh, agreed. They are looking scary good and goes back to what I said earlier on the pod. Uh, I, I force you to pick one team to win the national championship right now. Are you more comfortable with Duke or Kentucky or Auburn or Arizona or Kansas? Just keep on rolling down the line there. Uh, a lot of very fun candidates as we sit here in the first week of February. And I think I do believe that's still going to be the case. Uh, let's flash forward a month. 
from right now, as we're starting ready to uh, to peel off the lid on conference tournaments, I think we'll probably still be there with most of those teams, and that's a fun thing. All right. Elsewhere for the weekend, let's just bounce around these things. I'll bullet point some yeah. interesting developments, and then you could take it wherever you want to take it. Top-ranked Auburn. Uh, got a scare at Georgia, but 174-72. So that's 19 straight wins for Bruce Pearl's Tigers. Gonzaga smashed BYU. Luckily, lucky they didn't get arrested for what it they was did. To 74 to 36 at one point in this game. Lucky they didn't get arrested on that campus doing that to BYU. That stuff is not allowed. What <laughs> they did, what they did to BYU on Saturday night is not allowed on that campus, Deadleg. Woo! 12 straight double-digit victories for Mark Fusax. UCLA, as you mentioned earlier, took a quad three loss at Arizona State. I did get up this morning and watch the end of the game. Johnny Juzang threw a ball so uh, hard off the backboard <laughs> trying to hit a game winner. I know. Was, he was actually not. Yeah, he was a little problematic. In that I mean, I mean, he was he was just going to – he had just decided I'm taking the shot no matter what, but uh, really threw it hard off the backboard. Kansas beat Baylor by 24. That was something. Mm-hmm. Michigan State got blown out at Rutgers. Shout to Jersey Mike's. DePaul won at Xavier. Murray State extended its winning streak to 12 games. Arkansas beat Mississippi State. Uh, extended its winning streak to eight games. LSU lost at Vanderbilt. Now one and six in its past seven games. Texas Tech won at West Virginia. The Mountaineers on a seven-game losing streak now. Like I said, take that wherever you want to take it. I will. I'll hit those. And there's a couple that you didn't mention. I'll mention on the tail end. Uh, let's just ping pong real quick here. Uh, Auburn barely getting by Georgia. Just we've done this segment like three times this season, but I want to do it real, real quick again. Uh, go. And I, I say this completely well-intentioned as your friend, but I want to, for the audience's sake, justify keeping Auburn at number one and not Gonzaga after the way that Auburn has played as of late and Gonzaga is just destroying teams. Same argument I made before. Auburn um, is the only team in the country that hasn't lost in regulation. They haven't lost since uh, before Thanksgiving. Um, they, they've they got big wins, including one over Kentucky. They have beaten the Alabama team that Gonzaga lost to. Uh, Gonzaga is obviously impressive, overwhelming on a neutral court would probably be favored over Auburn, would definitely be favored over Auburn, but I'm going to do it on resume at this point in the season, and Auburn's got the best resume in the country. Fair enough. Just wanted to at least uh, address that and bring it up because Gonzaga just uh, – BYU is one of a few teams in the middle of a free fall right now, including the likes of West Virginia, now officially a, a, a very concerned bubble team. And I don't know if LSU is a bubble team yet, but L- – Seth Davis tweeted the bottom has come out. It has absolutely come out. LSU got taken out at Vanderbilt, and Will Wade's team is spiraling, to say the least. Uh, UCLA did not get out of Arizona with a win, just a note. Uh, we talked about it on the previous pod, obviously, but just to keep track on all this stuff, Bruins went and lost at Arizona, and then that was that was a rough one at Arizona State. And that was one where I was obviously watching the game, doing a little uh, hoop watching there, and Gonzaga was destroying BYU, and then um, – I do enjoy myself some Winter Olympics and kind of keeping an eye on that. And then this game is like going overtime and overtime and overtime. And I'm getting tired. I'm like, I, I now I, I have to watch the end of this disaster here. Uh, Bobby Hurley, you know what? Good job, man. You get a win. You're having a bad season with that program. It's just a rough go of it. These are the wins that were like, you just kind of soak up as much as you possibly can. Uh, I don't really have much from Kentucky, Alabama. We've talked about Alabama plenty. Talked about Kentucky. Kentucky went in, got another really good win. Oscar Sheboy is still my national player of the year. We talked about him on Friday. I'd still have him as a narrow front runner at this point. 
Let's really, really quickly talk about how impressive Kansas has been uh, and why we are both not concerned with Baylor. You and I both agreed when we talked earlier in this episode, we still would consider Baylor. We can envision this team uh, getting it together to win a national championship. They wouldn't be our first, second or third pick, but I'm not going to sell my Baylor stock. Um, it was not fully healthy. Still no LJ Cryer. Uh, and this was one of those games, man. Like there was a pass. I think it was Jalen Wilson made this pass to save the ball and dished it out for a three in Kansas cashed it. I've had a couple of coaches tell me kind of uh, playfully over the years. It's basically been something along the lines of there are certain nights when if you're an opponent in that building, like the basketball gods are not letting you win. It is out of your hands. And these, these sentiments have not been expressed with any kind of cynicism. It's like legitimately, what, what Fieldhouse has a certain juju to it with that program where well, like, I don't know. I don't I know about that. Here, here, here's what, here's what I think is true. And Fran Fischella touched on this during the broadcast when Scott drew like flipped out. He did. Uh, I, like, last time you saw Scott drew that pissed. I don't think I've ever Never. seen Scott drew that pissed. Yeah. Never. Yeah. He, did he, did he cuss at all? I don't know. I don't know. I was looking for it. It looked like he was from the best I could tell you to say that was trash. You know, a different coach would be like, that's that mother- was garbage, man. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. That's trash. That was trash. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't say I never seen Scott like that. And he was clearly I don't think he was as mad at the charge call. It was a Matthew Meyer charge call. Right. Mm. And I don't think he was as mad about the call as like, I got to do some, something to try to get something because we are just we're not in this right now and it's not getting any better um so the fran touched on this a little bit what i have heard from coaches is that there are certain places you go and it's not some juju thing but it's like the refs are actually influenced by the crowd i wasn't gonna go there but there's also that as well yes yeah and at kansas and at duke here's what i've had multiple coaches tell me over the years if you're gonna go beat them there you better be 10 points better than them to beat them by a point like you have like it's not a fair game and they don't mean anybody's cheating nobody's cheating but it's not a fair game and if you're gonna go you can't be one point better than kansas at kansas and beat kansas or one point better than duke at duke and beat duke you better be this is the way it's been put to me you got to be 10 points better than them to beat them by one that's the reality of playing at those places Agreed. I, that has been uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, and I'm not saying I, I just, uh, I, I remember when I did the story like six, seven years ago, I, I, at that point, Scott drew had more losses at fog Allen Fieldhouse <laughs> and bill self, but there had only been eight teams that had defeated Kansas at Kansas. And so I tracked down every head coach that had ever done it. And a couple of them got to talking about like, you know, that building, man, there's just something about going in that building. And, and I just thought, I thought that that play exemplified that ethos. That's all. When, yeah, when yeah. Bill Wilson made that pass and then they sunk the three, it's like, you, you got no shot Baylor and, and fully acknowledging that Kentucky went in there, makes Kentucky all the more impressive, man. Like they went yeah, in there and absolutely destroyed Kansas a week ago. And then Kansas came back. Didn't have Abaji, wins at Iowa State with ease, and then comes back home against a Baylor team that now, even though it's struggling, still objectively feels like it should be the second best team. If you want to say tech, that's cool. I'm with I'm good with that. And Baylor's not even in the game. Like it was just you know, another game on Saturday. Again, great matchup, and it fell flat. Yeah, as um as Kansas was handling Baylor no problem, and then later in the night, Kentucky goes to Alabama and really wins no problem. Like they weren't really threatened too much in the second half. Um, it, it made me 
like that that combination of things was like, man, how did Kentucky go do what it did? And oh, and don't forget they were up nine at Auburn when Ty Ty Washington went out. Like yes. there's there's a lot of good stuff from the past few weeks that if you're a Kentucky fan makes you think maybe we got the best team in the country. Without a doubt, man. That's what I'm saying. Kentucky, Kansas, Auburn, Duke, Arizona. Go on down the list. Plenty of team. A lot of fan bases have a lot of optimism right now, and that is collectively a good thing for the sport. Michigan State lost at Rutgers in blowout fashion two consecutive seasons. Uh, you and I agree we would not. We can't envision the Spartans, this Spartans team, cutting down the nets this year. But I thought that was at least worth a mention there. Rutgers. <sighs> Any chance they can actually sneak into this this tournament picture? I don't think so. They're way too low, and they've, they've taken they've taken too many losses. They're hundredth in the net, my man. I just looked this up. They don't have a shot, but they do have they have like a couple of like huge wins. But there's just too many losses at this point. But they they beat Purdue at home. Who could forget that? They beat Michigan State, beaten Iowa. So there's just not enough there. But anyway, good on Rutgers. Get the win, Michigan State. Like like they're not like with Rutgers. They're five and six in the first two quadrants. Like that's not terrible. That's 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 bubble stuff. But they got two quadrant three losses, a quadrant four loss. That's you're it's you're. We can't even talk to you with that. It's stuff. offsetting. It, it, yeah. it is. But um, certainly noticed that that kind of was scooting under the radar, but uh, not on this podcast. Yes, DePaul winning at Xavier. You know what it is? Seed line knock. Seed line oh, no. knock right there. Xavier's that's gonna gonna rue gonna rue a day for sure. And that day was Saturday. Kind of a bizarre one, but you know what? Good on DePaul for getting a win there. That was uh, that was good stuff for them. Um, you also mentioned, yep, Arkansas getting a win, eight in a row. Uh, bubble team that got a win. I'd, I'd break it down like this in terms of bubble teams. The winners, Arkansas, Wake Forest, beating Florida State. You call FSU a loser. Uh, the Demon Deacons will lead this week's court report on Wednesday, just so you know. Scheduled to talk with Steve Forbes and give... Uh, Give the best Wake Forest team in more than a decade some overdue love. Oregon winning at Utah. Ducks are still a bubble team. They got to win. Notre Dame playing itself nicely into the tournament picture. Won 69-57 at NC State. And I thought Florida hanging on an OT at home against Ole Miss GP was highly significant for the Gators. They were down nine at the half. Got Colin Castleton back. He had 17-7. and seven. Uh, That was certainly significant. The losers outside of, I mentioned LSU, West Virginia, Miami lost at Virginia, uh, certainly notable. Miami's floating near that cut line. SMU trying to get into the picture, losing by 15 at Wichita State. That's not going to help matters for the Ponies or the American Athletic Conference. TCU kind of quietly lost at home by 12 to K-State. Horn Frogs, got to dodge that kind of stuff if you're going to try and make your second tournament in two decades. Oklahoma now drifting onto the bubble. Uh, has already drifted, but, you know, bubble team supreme. Lost in Bedlam, Oklahoma State. Mike Boynton's team got an important win in the year where they can't get to the postseason. And then Creighton lost to Seton Hall. That's a good bubble win for the Hall. Bad for Creighton. Um, I did want to mention Friday night. Uh, first of all, before I mention the game, just real quick because we talked offline. Did you go and see that concert Friday or no? No, I no, went. Uh, no, I just couldn't. I just was. So, I was tired and I had yeah. work to do. And so on Friday night, for people who are uh, not keeping track with my personal life, I got stuck in New York. I couldn't get back home because of ice in Memphis. I was supposed to fly home Thursday morning. I didn't actually get home until Saturday afternoon. So I had two extra nights in New York. And Friday night, I had kind of free. I ended up, um, I went, I worked, and then I went and got dinner. And then I came back to the room and tried to shut my brain off a little bit. And I just watched the uh, first three episodes of T Pam and Tommy on Hulu. 
no idea what that is. All right, sounds good. Pamela uh, Anderson and Tommy Lee. Oh, the doc. Okay, there we go. It's and not a doc. Oh, it's it's an it's an actual like it's a miniseries. Okay, all right. It, it's great. Gonna have to take your word for that one, my friend. It's fun. Uh, you ever uh, you, you 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 never watched the payment and Tommy Lee tape? I did not. <laughs> I did not. Scouts honor all my children's life. Never watched it. So yeah, no, did not did not happen. We can where, leave what, that there where, though. Where were you in 1995? Uh, 95. I was, I was, I was 14 freshman in high school. Perhaps I was the prime demographic, but tucked away up in, uh, the Northwest corner of Vermont, South Burlington shouts did not, uh, didn't factor into my life. I'm aware of it. And I was aware of it. Holy crap. How did we get onto this? What I did on my Friday night was, um, watch some TV with the wife and then Colorado state, San Diego state, just got to note this Colorado state dodged losing three consecutive games uh was up by 20 points in the second half and then San Diego State came all the way back took the lead with 14 seconds to go no timeouts called would have been one of the worst collapses I've seen from any team in the past decade among the five or six worst I've seen but David Roddy saved the day hit a winner from like 16 feet out uh from the elbow with six seconds to go CSU gets the win I think that's the better result for the conference on the whole. We both think CSU and San Diego State are both going to eventually get into the tournament. I'll also note, we talked about Fresno State on the Friday pod. Utah State is also involved in this at this point. So Utah State won again, trying to squeeze in a little bit of love for everyone that deserves it uh, after kind of a letdown of a weekend. Utah State's 15-9, 34th in Ken Palm, has won five straight. This is Ryan Odom coaching this team. Thinking, wait a second, how do I know that name? How do I? He coached UMBC when they beat Virginia. This is his first season with the Aggies and inherited a solid roster situation. Justin Bean's awesome. They won at home over UNLV. There is a Tuesday night game with Utah State at Wyoming. If Utah State wins that game at Wyoming, Mountain West is going to be building a stronger case. Believe it. Believe it. Five teams. It's conceivable. I think four is getting very close to uh to probable and likely. Um Everything else that you mentioned there. Yeah, LSU's in serious trouble. Texas Tech winning at West Virginia. West Virginia's in serious trouble. Um, UConn lost against Nova. Villanova's beaten UConn five consecutive games. Uh, it was kind of a reminder. It was, I thought it was a reminder game, Parish, of Villanova saying, like, don't forget we're the big kid in the room here, and uh, we'll see how the, you know, the Providence-Nova race uh, plays out. And then Purdue. How about this? Purdue became the first program in Big Time history to win a thousand conference games. I had no idea until it happened. Matt Painter also won his 400th game. And then, oh, the big game that you didn't mention was USC Arizona. It was actually good. USC led deep into the second half, and then Arizona flipped it late. They wound up winning by nine. USC went one of 15 to close the game. You did not have the Trojans on your list of teams you could see cutting down the nets. I agree. I, I think I got to agree with you on that, although I do think that USC is a viable Final Four contender. Don't know if I can see that team actually pulling together six consecutive wins in the way that they couldn't capitalize. After playing a good game against Arizona late, um, kind of speaks to that a little bit. Texas also won 63-41 at Iowa State. It was the largest margin of victory by Texas against ISU uh, in more than a decade. And then lastly, some love for the guys who went for 40-plus. I had a couple people affiliated with these teams reach out. I promise I'd give them a shout. Three 40-point scores on Saturday. Jelly Walker, 42 for UAB and the win over Middle Tennessee. UAB, I'm telling you right now, you want like a true viable Sweet 16 Dark Horse Cinderella type right now before it like March gets here and there's buzz. If UAB gets into the tournament, it can win a couple of games. Jalen House for New Mexico got 42 against Air Force. And then Ben Shepard of Belmont had 41 
and a come from behind OT win, which is significant for Belmont to beat Tennessee State. So uh, I think that pretty much covers it, my man. That was a uh, man. I wish Saturday would have been better. Tons of games, but just not a lot of drama. What do we need to know about Monday, Tuesday on the schedule? Good point. All right. So Monday, you got Virginia at Duke. I had to do an HQ hit earlier on Sunday, GP. They asked me for my 15-second uh, bold statement. You're familiar with the... Oh, I know how to make bold statements. You, you are familiar with the bold statement. My bold statement was that Duke's going to come back after just destroying UNC on the road and win close late and get a real push from Virginia at home. Agree or disagree? Duke wins this game by fewer than five points. Where's the game being played? Cameron. Fewer than five points. That was my bold statement. Duke wins no. the game by fewer than five. No, 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 no. You're wrong. It was okay. bold, but wrong. Okay. It was bold, and I'm probably going to be wrong. Uh, you got Kansas at Texas, 9 Eastern on Monday on Monday night. Kansas wins the game by fewer than five points. Agree or disagree? I agree. I might lose it. Yeah, exactly. If it's winner, yeah. that's. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what Texas does in that spot there. If Kansas goes in to the Frank Irwin center and, you know, rolls out by 13 or 14, you know, it's, it, I won't be surprised. Um, they've got, they've got a lot going for them right now. And, but the Texas has a wonderful opportunity to really get a statement when the other game on Monday, Arizona plays against Arizona state in a makeup game. Um, just worth noting that if Arizona can win that, uh, I think it just, you know, it's credibility as a top five team, I think is only strengthened. Even if ASU's down, you get another win. This one on the road, I think would be big. And then Tuesday's got, I got five good ones. These are the five most notable Marquette, UConn, six thirty. Wisconsin, Michigan State, 7 Eastern. I want to see how Michigan State responds to the loss against Rutgers. And Wisconsin, you know, every game here for Johnny Davis and the Badgers is not just a, a game to keep pace in the Big Ten, but his National Player of the Year candidacy. Auburn, Arkansas, 7 Eastern. That's going to get tricky. Get picked? Is it happening here? Are they getting picked off? Are, are, are they, they going to win nine in a row and Auburn going to finally take an L here? You know how I feel about Auburn. I can't publicly pick against Auburn, but... I mean, I, that could get tricky. That could get tricky. And I, I got to, um, for Arkansas fans out there, I know you've won eight straight games. You're just on the wrong side oh, of the well, top 25 and one. The, the internet is on fire, broadband, high speed, fluid, juicy, going in the I state think, of Arkansas. I right think now. they took the bandwidth from Indiana and shifted down to Arkansas. <laughs> Because the internet's working great in Arkansas right now. I got you. I believe in you. I love Muss. Love the whole family. You are seven and three in the first two quarters with two quarter three losses. You've got one quarter one win over LSU. You lost to Vanderbilt and Hofstra. I don't think that's a top 25 and one resume right now, but could get there Tuesday night. And I won't, and I won't be surprised if they do. But Walton, but Walton will be rocking, and um, I will not be surprised if if Auburn takes its second loss this week. Uh, man, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, Utah State again, as previously mentioned, as previously mentioned, Utah State against Wyoming on Tuesday. That is a uh, that is a must watch for for me for certainly because I think man. I think Utah State might be able to do it. But Wyoming's a really, really fun story as well. Hoping to give them some pub on the site soon. And then Illinois-Purdue, 9 Eastern. That's that's the best matchup of the next two days, in my opinion, while some of the other ones I mentioned are plenty intriguing. Here we go, man. Uh, what will we get out of Illinois? And for Purdue, which beat Michigan, and Jaden Ivey continues to be a fantastic player, uh, that building is going to uh, – better environment, real quick, before we just wrap by talking Illinois-Purdue, just better environment, Tuesday. Bud Walton or Mackey? Better one. You got to pick one or the other. 
Bud Walton. I'm saying Mackey. Give me Mackey, man. I've never been to either, to be fair. I've I know been to Bud both. Going, but I got to say Mackey, dude. I think that Mackey for Illinois coming. Now, Auburn's number one team in the country. That team's on an eight-game win streak. I think it's going to be another night. You tune in, watch some college hoops. There's going to be some fantastic, fantastic scenes coming out around the country. Breslin will be going. Uh, UConn better start going, although that might be XL Center. That's my home state. I hope they're playing that at Gamble. Don't have it in front of me right now. Illinois-Purdue is a fan-freaking-tastic Tuesday night tip that could ultimately decide who finishes on top of the Big Ten standings. May or may not. Could also help uh, Illinois get to a really high seat if it can get a road win. Could help Purdue get to the one line if it can hold serve at home. So great quad one game. And hopefully Monday and Tuesday, at least from a gameplay perspective, are a little better than what we saw on Saturday with, it was, let's be honest, GP. Love talking about this, but a lot of a lot of duds, but at least some storylines emerged anyway. We ready? If you get out of here in less than 90 seconds, it's going to be four consecutive podcasts where we've been out in under an hour. Let's do this. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry. Black. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to Iron College Basketball Podcast, the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We need five stars at both places. Nice reviews over at Apple Podcasts. Take 20 seconds and write something kind. There's more of us than there are of them. There's more of us than there are. Pam and Tommy, they just like us. There's more of us. Then there are of them. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. And before you go, before you clock out, if you didn't smash that like button like Brandon Davies would, please smash the like button like Brandon Davies would. He risked a final four to smash. You're not risking anything. You're not risking anything. So please knock that out. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.